Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen Podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. So this is going to be a slightly unusual podcast in that it's just me talking. Um, It's going to be me being as open and honest as possible, talking about my learnings from 2020, um, what's happened to me this year, um, my personal experiences, and hopefully by sharing and probably oversharing as well, um, you will get a snippet of information or snippet of knowledge that helps you. And even if it's just one bit, then I'm super happy with that. Um, Broadly speaking, I'm going to be talking about... uh, my tools for coping, um, what I've learnt, literally what I've learnt, um, particularly during my master's in the process of doing this podcast, um, and some broader topics as well about coping mechanisms and the the way I, I feel people would benefit from doing a few activities that sound a little bit woo-woo, but actually are really evidence-based. And actually, I've from personal experience and, and patient experience and colleague experience, it's it's very effective. So the things I'm going to be speaking about today include gratitude, living in the present. I'm also going to be talking about my learnings from my nutritional medicine masters uh, and, and upon completing that, what I've learned and what my perspective of, of food uh, has been and how that might have changed. What I've learned by doing this podcast this year in particular Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, inequality, um, how to live healthier and with purpose, uh, the power of routine, um, as well as uh, some books that I feel have had a huge impact uh, on my my morning routine, um, but also uh, just generally how I think about things as well. Um, And I also want to talk a bit about the aspirations for my personal new year. Um, and, and how I kind of structure going into to New Year's as well. And hopefully, you know, th- that is um, that is useful for, for anyone who's trying to um, 
do something in their own space and it doesn't need to be nutrition or entrepreneurship it can just be you know how they want to frame your year because if you don't go into a new year with intention um, then you're sort of scrambling around you always need to have a plan or a backup or a protocol that's the way I, I like to approach things and it's actually one of the mechanisms by which I feel that I've become a lot more productive over the years um, so to start off with and 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 regular listeners to the podcast as well as people who follow me on social media will probably be pretty bored of me talking about gratitude but gratitude is the antidote to suffering it is the antidote to the apathy to boredom to you know it it, it is a, a really important concept that takes practice in the same way going to the gym and working out and improving your uh, personal best rowing time or running time. Gratitude is an exercise that needs to be performed on a daily basis. And the three things that I'm grateful for at the end of the day is a practice that I've maintained for quite a few years now, even before I started sharing it on social media. And when I started sharing it, on social media in 2017 um you know it was just meant to be 15 or 30 days of me sharing three things to encourage people at the start of the year to do the same sort of practice and that led to you know, me continuing that for years and years to come and so that the three things that I'm, I'm grateful for every single day can be as small as you know a, a nice comment from uh, my my boss at work or um, the fact that I got a text from someone who I haven't speak, spoken to in ages and they live in Australia or, you know, I'm, I'm massively grateful for the technology that we have uh, currently so we can stay connected. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a, a big thing every day, but it reminds me the next day and in that moment about just how lucky I am and how much privilege I have. The very virtue of being able to listen to a podcast is a huge privilege that a lot of people don't have. Um, and so this kind of reframes my thinking on a daily basis and it, it reframes the way I look at the world and actually gratitude, my gratitude practice pre-2020 has been pivotal for me maintaining a perspective that is positive, that is content, that is you know pretty pleasant actually and and for all the ups and downs of this year i've kind of maintained a consistent um mood i mean obviously there are times where you lash out and you you lose you feel like you lose control or you feel that uh you you haven't had much control over how you're feeling in that moment but but the process of coming back to that content to that middle way that that i feel has been massively aided by gratitude as a, as a process for me and i think it's it's also reminded us that tomorrow is not guaranteed but today is and that that importance of trying to achieve happiness in the present moment rather than wishing for something to happen in the future to allow happiness to thrive and you know it can to use a, a fickle analogy when i get my rolls royce in one year's time that's when i'll be happy or when i go on my holiday 
or when I afford to go on a holiday that I want to go on in X amount of time, that's when I'll be happy. But actually, you want to be trying to achieve happiness in this moment right now, irrespective of whatever you achieve in the future. And I, I use some some fickle examples. It's not necessarily fickle for everybody because it's nice to have a goal to work towards. But achieving happiness in the present moment is what really leads and unlocks true contentment and, and true pleasure. Uh, and, and this is something that I've, I've come to realize over the last few years. Going slightly off topic and going to my nutritional medicine, my, my nutritional medicine masters. Um, so I completed that uh, at the start of the year. It was a weird time because I was writing essays whilst I was um, helping out in ITU in the non-clinical role that I was uh, doing and in A&E. And so writing about topics such as obesity and uh, sugar consumption, food addiction, you know, these I've done 36 essays over the last year and a half, um, all to do with different topics around nutritional medicine, arthritis, IBD, um, ADHD, omega-3, selenium, you name it. We've done so many essays and it's been a fascinating process trying to answer questions that I perhaps wouldn't have come up with myself um, and and being pulled into areas that I didn't feel that I, did, I had an interest in. Um, and, and I think to talk about three key learnings of my nutritional, master, my nutritional medicine masters um, w- would be a good place to start because I don't want to regale everything that I've learned about um, from the last two years that I've been doing it and I'm still yet to to complete the project, which I'm going to talk about a bit later with my app. Um, but my opinion of sugar has always been, um, has always been a pretty, uh, I would say middle ground, um, balanced and, and not really, um, too vocal about, I would say it's definitely not good for us. We definitely have way too much of it in our, food system we definitely uh, over consume on a daily basis particularly in the uk and the states but also growing and released in areas and and uh, south asia but the the extent to how dangerous i thought sugar was perhaps was magnified by doing um the cardiometabolic module where we looked at the mechanism behind sugar's impact on inflammation, liver health, um, as well as brain health. And you've seen lots of headlines in the past about food being addictive or food or sugar being as addictive as cocaine. And I always sort of thought of that as media overhype. But actually breaking it down into the addictive properties of sugar and how that marries up to the clinical definition of what addiction is, I was pretty shocked at how it kind of matches on perfectly. And you can you can refer to sugar as an addictive substance, as it demonstrates some 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 clear objectives for it to be defined by that tolerance, withdrawal effects, uh, it, the danger of overconsumption, habitual overconsumption. It's it's pretty remarkable 
how the studies were suppressed as well a number of decades ago and that's led to sugar being in our food system and, and being seen as as pretty innocuous now i'm not one of those people that would never use sugar or consume sugar ever again like baking or you know adding some coconut sugar to a thai curry you know i, I definitely think there are boundaries and there's definitely a, a limit to which we can deal with and we should include for for the purposes of flavor and and and, and culinary uh, aspects and, and making food a lot more palatable but the degree to how much we over consume and how much we over promote through fast foods convenience foods and sugar sweetened beverages like coke uh, and and all the other uh, brands that you can think of uh, it's pretty horrifying when you learn a lot more about the mechanism behind sugar and particularly its impact on on children um, I've just recorded a podcast uh, with Professor Michael Goran uh, and uh, his colleague uh, who wrote a, a book all about sugar and, and kids and that's coming out at the start of 2021 so definitely listen to that but I was pretty shocked at how how much of an impact sugar can have particularly on children and developing young adults so it's definitely one to watch but that's one of the, the key learnings I've, I've, I've found from my nutritional medicine masters that, that really did bring it home. Another element, and it kind of goes without saying really because we talk about it on the podcast so much, but it is the magnitude of effect of the microbiota, the population that, of microbes that live in and around our body, largely in our gut. And uh, I'm going to do a whole series of podcasts on this because it's definitely something you will refer to pretty much every podcast episode we do on nutrition. Um, we, we know about the basic functions of the microbiota being an organ that digests food for us, releases micronutrients, creates neurotransmitters, is involved inherently in sugar balance, in inflammation balance. Um, it's pretty incredible just how many different areas of, of medicine um, that the microbiota is involved in, and we're still learning a lot more. The premise of probiotics and other interventions of a similar light where you introduce live bacteria, um, those are yet to be proven out. But the, the, the core sort of basics that most people don't get even today is fiber, prebiotic fibers in particular, onion, garlic, chicory, um, all the different sources of, of multiple fiber subtypes, as well as variety and diversity and largely plants. I mean, this is the key thing. And it's something that I speak about with patients all the time whenever I'm, I'm prescribing antibiotics. Um, probiotic foods, I think, are a bonus and they're, they're generally uh, innocuous and potentially uh, effective. Um, but the core thing of, of fiber is, is really important. And I'm I'm always on a journey of learning more about exactly how this works. Um, and the third thing that I would say is so this sugar, this fiber, the third thing that I've, I, I wouldn't say I've changed my mind on because I've, I've definitely been a proponent of any diet that has therapeutic benefit. Um, but there, there are two, two diets that I've, I've sort of changed my mind on. One is the keto diet and one is the, um, 
very low calorie restricted diet. So the very low calorie diet. Um, to tackle the first one, uh, the, the keto diet, for, for those of you who have already listened to uh, Sue Wood's podcast, where we talked at length about the keto diet, how it works, where it came from, and where the potential clinical applications are. Um, I think it's a diet that definitely needs a lot more unpacking and definitely needs a lot more attention, um, particularly in the neurological community, because it is uh, quite fascinating how the keto diet reduces the number of seizures in a certain subset of patients. The applications of that, given that we use anti-epileptic medications for a wide range of issues, including migraine, uh, pain. Um, there was also some some psychological um, uh, potential there as well for the keto diet and, and cognitive benefits. You know, it definitely needs a lot more unpacking um, and a lot more attention. My concern is there are some people who are what are deemed hyper responders to fat and particularly the, the type of fat that's included in keto diets. Um, but there, there is a growing consensus that if you change the type of fats that are used in this very high fat diet, then you can um, uh, mitigate against the, some of the potential cardio, uh, cardiovascular risks. So the, the keto diet, I think, is, is a very interesting one. Not one that I would personally use and neither one that I would recommend un unless there were specific circumstances. However, the way the keto diet has been portrayed in the media as a, a, a fat loss element or a, a diet that everyone should try, I think it's incorrect. <clears throat> but I do think it's uh, it definitely warrants a lot more uh, attention from a, a scientific standpoint. And the very low calorie diet, um, that for those of you who don't know, is a, it's a significantly calorie reduced diet that's given in a therapeutic manner to those suffering with type 2 diabetes and the impact of that diet has been shown to be as effective as bariatric surgery which and for the and anyone who doesn't know about the potential side effects of bariatric surgery I, I would encourage you to to look it up because it's not as simple as putting a band in or you know um giving someone a bit of uh, a bit of a, a dietitian attention and and then performing the surgery it, it's a huge procedure and with massive ramifications post procedurally as well from a an absorption point of view a vitamin point of view a psychological point of view um there, there is a growing um number of patients who have had this procedure and uh uh, and their uh, risk of eating disorders. So it's not something that is taken lightly by the profession, and it's not something that we can use in a in a scalable manner to treat obesity and type two by diabetes as a problem once it's established uh, at scale. So we have to entertain different areas, and very 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 low calorie diets are a very interesting area that I think um, would be appropriate for a lot of people um, once counseled, but it, it, it definitely takes time. But again, I, I wasn't on that in that mindset at all, that a very, very low calorie diet, a VLCD, 
um, would would be useful. Um, but it definitely takes a lot of psychological um, strength and support, I would say, uh, for, for people doing that. The podcast uh, for me in 2020 has been a source of comfort. Uh, it's allowed me to reach out to uh, some incredible people, um, both medical and non-medical. So we've had psychologists, we've had um, nutrition lecturers, um, we've had friends of mine talking about everything from eye health, immune health. Um, we talked a lot about the gut, uh, as I mentioned. But I also used it to to really reach out to people and, and think about how we can grow from what is a tragic situation of of lockdown, of of early death, of in, infection, um, morbidity, uh, which is yet to come about, financial insecurity, and so I spoke to to two people. Um, that I, I, I mean, I was privileged to speak with them in, in the first place. Um, Professor Guy Standing, who has been a huge advocate for universal basic income. Um, you know, UBI, as it's also known, is a concept where you give literally cash to people with no ramifications no guidelines on how to spend it you literally just give them cash every single month and this cash by virtue of being a citizen of the country will allow them should allow them and should be enough to allow them to afford rent to afford food to afford to live and this blanket of financial security has been shown in some in some studies relatively small if you compare it to population size but still pretty big studies in Finland and in parts of India and there may be some others as well but I, I'm not hugely um, well read up in this area but to massively increase happiness levels and, and I'm using happiness specifically rather than levels of literacy or levels of of uh, job attainment or, or anything else because happiness is really the core feature of what we should be aiming for. And that that brings me on to another podcast that I actually recorded in 2019 with uh, Mike Viking, um, all about happiness and why happiness is really the goal. I'm going to be recording another podcast in early 2021 with Mo Gaudat, uh, who is the former Google X CEO or CBO and who tragically lost his um, his son in a freak accident after having a routine appendicectomy um, about four years ago. And he was working on the algorithm for happiness at, at Google at the time. And this was the ultimate test, losing his son, who was in his early 20s, um, so, so quickly and so unannounced i mean it, it was a complete shock um and going through the process of maintaining happiness because his formula is all about perspective if your perspective meets your expectations then you can be happy but when those are out of a line i.e., your expectations are much higher than your current perspective i'm sure he'll say it better when he when we record the podcast then that's what can lead to um to levels of unhappiness so happiness as a measure 
of societal progress and just the, the, rather than wealth alone, I think it, it's it's something that we need to really think about in 2021 from a political standpoint. I'm also going to be speaking to um, a number of different politicians uh, or people in politics um, about this concept because I think, yes, we can vote with our money and yes, we can vote with our fork, but we do need to rely on the politicians and other uh, elements of, of government to 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 really guide the, our population and our country towards uh, high levels of happiness because that is kind of overshadowed. And I think it's overshadowed um, in government in the same way nutrition and lifestyle has been you know, disregarded in medicine as something that is a bit woo, as something that is a bit... Um, fringe whereas actually happiness is the is the true goal of what our politicians should be doing for us they should be trying to maintain a country that allows happiness to thrive that allows health to thrive that allows well-being and, and financial security to thrive and these are the things that we should be holding up as as metrics as markers of the success of the country um, and it's something again that has been brought up by the pandemic. The other thing I want to talk about, and I don't want to talk about the pandemic in a in a in a literal sense, or you know, uh, make this a political podcast, but the inequality that we see today that has been brought about as a result of the pandemic existed way before the pandemic, and I say existed as the result of the pandemic. It always existed, but it it was kind of overcast it was shadowed it was it was tucked away in the corner but the number of people using food banks the number of people who are financially insecure the number of people who are food insecure has been brought to our attention in a huge huge light now this is something that i was aware of quite a number of years ago i mean we've done culinary medicine now in the uk for the last two years where we teach medical students the foundations of nutrition, as well as how to cook. And in that program, we also teach them about food insecurity. And we also teach them about uh, the levels of poverty that exist in society today. And being in a privileged position of being a primary care physician, a GP not only working in primary care, but also uh, in a &E, I I see this at an anecdotal level. And when you marry what I see in clinic and, and in medicine to what the statistics say, you realize we're in a horrible situation and have been for a number of, of, of years prior to what we're seeing this year. The injustices, again, that have existed way before the pandemic were brought in a horrific light during the pandemic as well. But the persecution of religious groups, races, et cetera, et cetera, all existed before the pandemic. And I think it's this realization that we need to sit with so we can actually become a better, more compassionate society going forward. And I know this sounds a bit like I'm on my, my high sort of uh, moral horse here, but I think injustices and subconscious bias exist within, within all of us, even people from ethnic minorities like myself 
we we all are privy to having biases prejudices that we need to get comfortable with ourselves before we can actually change them and admit to ourselves if not publicly that we they exist within us and we need to work through those and and it's it's a it's a very very important practice to do with oneself and i would highly recommend that you listen to some of the resources that myself and the team put together um in in the in the summer to really understand where this could be coming from and why this happens um there's a number of fantastic lectures by the historian akala um a k a l a um that he performed in a number of locations but one of the ones that i thought was perhaps the most thought provoking was the the lecture he gave at oxford university all about black history um and for those of you who haven't watched it i would highly recommend you you watch that because it really brought to home where subconscious bias and where prejudice actually originates from and it's the media and it's it's very very stark when you realize some when you when you realize just how insidious it is and on on that note of the pandemic and inequality i just want to reiterate something that john snow said a couple of weeks ago on the channel 4 um podcast this is our third world war um and it's not a country or a group of countries it is this invisible force that nobody really foresees apart from perhaps the microbiologists and epidemiologists and virologists but this is our third world war and when you reframe it like that and you think about the levels of sacrifice the levels of lack of communication during the first and second world war the levels of loss of life we we're, we're doing a lot better and we're a lot more comfortable than we were it's still very very uncomfortable but we we're definitely more comfortable than it was before and i actually take a lot of solace in that um i'm in a very privileged position um being able to work on the front line being privy to what comes out next and and understanding and having a level of understanding about epidemiology however i feel like a lot of us have access to information that we would not have had during previous world wars and and actually you know when you reframe it like that i i i found that quite comforting okay so on to some more positive uh aspects of of the podcast um how to live healthier so my my perspective on food has really evolved over the last 5 or 6 years when i first got ill with atrial fibrillation that i managed to overcome in 2011 what i i thought was just my change in food and and perhaps even my exercise regime that included a lot more yoga and pilates and and flow and stretch and mobility as well as doing long distance running and uh, strength training you know i i thought that combined with food was was one of the things that that really helped me get through it but actually it was this concept of purpose uh and community because i never gave up being a doctor even though i was ill at the time and i never wanted to sacrifice my goal of becoming a a fully fledged doctor um and the community that i had around me of other medics but also other people who were interested in nutrition was exceptionally important when it came to me overcoming my my medical issue and so 
how to live healthier is a is a real interplay of, of six different concepts. It's yes, food and and nutrition. Yes, it's um, exercise uh, and and sleep and meditation or, or mindfulness, call it what you will. But it also comes down to cultivating that purpose and having a community or being part of a community. And and I look at this through the lens of food. And, and when I say this, I, I literally mean through the lens of food. Humor me for a moment. If you imagine in hunter-gatherer days where we would have foraged for food or we would have hunted for food, we would have woken up really early in our community mud huts or whatever you want to call them, tree huts. And we would have prepared our gear and we would have gone out into the wilderness. And during that long stretch of of exercise, of, of walking along, we would have been completely still. We wouldn't have been chatting with our mates or anything like that. We would have just been still because A, you want to make sure that you are aware of any predators and B, you want to make sure that you're not scaring away any prey. And so that stillness that you had to cultivate, that sense of that concentration, that pure focus is mindfulness in itself. And that walking, that 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 carry on walking, that that the flow of of going across a plane, again, that exercise and that is mindfulness in itself. We would have caught hopefully our, our prey or, or foraged or, or whatever brought it back to the community and we would have eaten whatever we could find and whatever was seasonal and what whatever we were able to carry back with us and then we would have shared that within the community itself and that that communal act of of sharing and and uh, uh eating food together you know that that really does cultivate your purpose because your purpose is to feed your family, your community, and to be part of this close-knit network. And you would have gone to sleep when the nights went out because A, there's no electricity, and B, you need to wake up refreshed to do the same thing the next day. And so every element of lifestyle medicine, or call it whatever you want, is rooted in the search for food and the enjoyment of food and the sharing of food. These are the fundamental constructs of what we deem lifestyle medicine. And obviously it needs a bit of a rebrand because we don't need to go and hunt food anymore. But there is something in our evolutionary history that is so special about food, about breaking bread, about sharing food. It's almost intertwined in our DNA. And that is why I take so much interest in in food and i've realized this is sort of why we are so ingrained to love food to smell food to be attracted to the visual pleasure of a colorful bowl of food it's because it's literally wired into us and this is the foundational basis behind lifestyle medicine that you know i i never want to forget about because it, it's that that beautiful entanglement of uh, of everything that that I love to talk about and love to, to research. Um, and on the note about how to live healthier, what I've noticed particularly this year is the power of routine. Wake, water, meditate. It's exactly what I've just done today. I'm recording this at 6.15 in the morning. Prior to, to this, I've, I've woken, obviously. I've had a lot of water. I've taken the dog out and I've meditated. 
and I use a number of different tools to meditate. There's breath work, where I just concentrate my breath work and putting on a timer for about 10 minutes. There's guided meditations, of which there are many apps, but I'm currently using Waking Up by Sam Harris because I feel the way he guides is distinct to a lot of other meditators um, and meditation apps. And, and his neuroscience background really does pull in some of the elements um, that I feel is is lacking in, in other apps. Not to say that other apps are, are of lesser quality, that it's really horses for courses. Um, and I, I, uh, I tend to journal these days, and this brings me on to, to the next um, uh, aspect of what I've learned in 2020, the importance of journaling. It is phenomenal. And for those of you who don't know what journaling is, there are a number of different um, apps and, and books out there, the Five Minute Journal, for example. But journaling is is literally just writing down your thoughts and affirmations for the day. So my thoughts this morning were I had a good shift in A&E last night. Um, I spoke to my family and um, I, uh, I, I'm looking forward to the 24th of Christmas, uh, of 24th of December, where I'm going to be working Christmas Eve. And the guys have planned to bring in lots of food for us and stuff and and have a, a break if we can in the department. So, you know, th- those are my, my top level thoughts. That's literally what I want. And then I write what my affirmations are for the day. So A, recording this podcast, because I want to get out my learnings from 2020 and share them for whoever might find them useful. Uh, B, I need to clear up uh, all my doctor's kitchen stuff for the year because I don't really want to do any more work over the Christmas period and give myself a good break from social media. Um, and the third thing is uh, I'm going to make sure that I cook myself a really nice lunch because uh, I had to eat cold dinner as I usually do uh, at work um, yesterday. So, you, you know, when you when you focus on getting your morning routine right, the day flows. The mantra from Robin Sharma's book, The 5am Club, is own your morning, elevate your life. And that's that's very, very true. I can't stress this enough. The most, the most successful people in the world all have a morning routine where they get things done really, really early or at the early, at the, the, the earliest start of their own day, wherever they woke up. So the rest of the day just flows. And that's my experience over the last three months where I've been waking up quite early, horrifically early for a lot of people at 5 a.m. to do the dog walking stuff, the meditation, my journaling. Um, it really has allowed me the space to work out everything else that I need to fit into the day and to prioritize as well about what I put into my day as well. And I've been a lot more, I've de- definitely taken a lot more ownership of what I put into my day because I used to be one that would say yes to everything and I've learned to say no a lot. And I think we all need to say no a lot more than we're comfortable with. That combined with journaling, combined with um, action boarding, which is a, a practice that I learned about in Tara Swart's book, The Source. Um, it's it's a different word for vision boarding because action boarding gives the the impetus that things are going to actually happen and you're going to take actions both consciously and subconsciously to make whatever is on your board come to life and I, i've done this process it's basically where you think about where you want to be 
in the next year, five years, 10 years, however long you want that trajectory to look like and what you want to achieve. And, and this goes into my aspirations for the new year with culinary medicine, where we're still aiming to get culinary medicine as a program as part of compulsory medical education in all medical schools. We're working on our online course for practitioners, both medical doctors and nursing as well. And that's something that we're flashing out this year. Um, we've been working on our food insecurity program with Westminster Kingsway, where we're getting the chefs and culinary students to come up with recipes using typical food bank parcels. And um, the aspiration to to not only teach doctors, but nurses as well. This is something that I think is pivotal to the core mission of coloring medicine, which is elevating the confidence of health practitioners to talk about nutrition with patients in clinical scenarios. Because if you just focus on one aspect, particularly doctors who don't actually have that much contact time with patients in secondary care, you, you really need to be looking at nursing staff who are just as enthusiastic who want to learn about nutrition, who believe in the power of nutritional medicine as they should do because there is so much evidence behind it. Um, this is really how we scale up this population of health literate and motivated people who are able to take care of themselves using lifestyle measures. Um, and, and, and this is something that I, I'm really galvanized about when it comes to the next year. The other things that I'm looking forward to the BBC program that I recorded, Thrifty Cooking in the Doctor's Kitchen, the average price of a portion of food, which all contains three portions of fruit, vegetables, nuts or seeds, is 90p. And I just can't wait to show people how that is possible because it sounds completely unbelievable. It sounds bonkers, but I owe a lot of credit to the Home Economist team, the production team who really saw the vision and got behind it. And it's going to be one of those programs that hopefully is going to change people's perceptions of food and how this myth of healthy food being expensive has dominated our thinking. And I want to reframe the culture around that to, to exemplify just how accessible and easy it can be if you educate people in the right way, if you give them that space and that time to focus on food, then everything else sort of just slots into place as well um and it's it's really confidence building so that's definitely something that i'm working on and the other thing is my app um so i'm creating a doctor's kitchen app which will personalize recipes based on dietary preference but also nutritional goals so if you're looking to improve skin or you're interested in immune health or uh, gut health or, or even just trying to live healthier by increasing plant consumption. We are creating a library of hundreds of different recipes of premium images with step-by-step -step guides. And the aim is to create a, a meal planning service where you can meal plan in less than 30 seconds and connect with online supermarkets if you choose to do your shopping online. Or it will create a digital shopping list for you and you can go and fulfill that shopping list um, in the normal way. Um, and it will reduce food waste, it will maximize plants in your diet, and it will maximize health benefits as well. And this this app um, is also going to have video content and a whole bunch of other cool features. And I'm super excited because 
that's basically what the doctor's kitchen is going to become in the future a, a resource of of recipes that are tailored to your nutrition goals and based on evidence as well there is so much research that's going in in the behind the scenes to come up with dietary uh, sources dietary patterns the types of ingredients you should be having in your in your diet whether you're looking to optimize fertility or, or whatever your health goal might be um, and also uh, looking at supplementation as well if that's even necessary because we're trying to achieve everything through food uh, and where it's not possible through food then that's when we we talk about supplementation um, so yeah that'll be the doctor's kitchen app coming soon if you want to be the first to know about that then we're going to be shouting about it on the newsletter um, but that that for me is is the one of the biggest goals and has been one of the biggest goals for the last two years and we've been doing some user testing and some research in the back end um, but yeah that's uh, that's definitely hopefully where I'm going to be focused on so that's my roundup of 2020. Um, obviously, the the new book is coming out, 321. I'm going to do another podcast episode uh, talking about exactly what we mean by 321 and where the concept came from and, and, and why it's going to be so pivotal for people. But gratitude, the realization that tomorrow is not guaranteed, but today is. What I learned during my nutrition master's uh, inequality and in its existence before the pandemic what I've learned from the podcast, how to live healthier, the power of routine, journaling, action boarding, uh, and my aspirations for for the new year. I hope that's been useful in some way, even if it's just a nugget of information about my routine or how I like to process things or my gratitude um, uh, practice. But if I could give you three things to, to think about or, or to practice, it would be just start a gratitude practice every day for 15 days and see how you feel if you're skeptical of the idea or you've done it before but perhaps you haven't maintained it just try it again for 15 15 days three things that you're grateful for at the end of the day before you go to bed or when you're having dinner or when you're brushing your teeth or whenever it is just just stick to it for 15 days and see how you feel the other thing is um really look at sugar in the diet uh, we're going to be doing some other podcasts about this but examine the sources of sugar in your diet whether that be from cereals or breads or uh, any snacks that you have in the house or even ready recipes that you might have as a backup you know just look at those sources of sugar um, condiments paste sauces that sort of stuff a lot of a lot of the sugar the added sugar intake comes from those let alone juices and uh, drinks and, and all the other familiar sources of sugar so really look at that and the other thing that i would uh, also encourage people to look at uh, are the resources that we put online and on on social media about um, prejudice and uh, sources of unconscious bias it's um, subconscious bias it's 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 really um it's pretty amazing how many different ways in which we can be prejudiced um, and uh, I think we need to admit that to ourselves I hope you've enjoyed my learnings from 2020 we're going to be continuing with the podcast next year with some fascinating subjects talking about brain health uh, mental health um, sugar um, we have a whole series on nutrition um, from 
some of the world's experts and, and leading authorities in, in interpreting nutrition uh, science um, and a whole bunch of other exciting features as well that I, I know that everyone's going to love if you've been an avid listener to, listen to the podcast already. But this is me, Dr. Rupi Orjula, wishing you a happy festive period and new year. And I will see you again in the new year.